Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. You can live a long, healthy life if you're HIV positive. With the current treatments, we can get patients down to being undetectable. The array of options is so much greater today. U equals U. Undetectable equals untransmittable. If someone who's HIV positive, they're taking their medication, they're undetectable, they're not able to pass HIV to their partners. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Your HIV treatment is their prevention. Get more information at doitforumc.org. Hey, everyone. Scott Hansen here from NFL Red Zone. I hope you're checking out one hour of Five Yard Rush, one of the best podcasts on NFL football in the U.K., Yo, what's going on, Russian Nation? Welcome to the second show of the week. And I was going to start with some form of celebratory announcement of today's guest, but I'm going to bypass that. I'm going to ask you, Murph, how you're doing, my friend. I'm good. Yeah, good. Why well, hesitate? Well, I, I also really wanted to like play some like victory music, uh, like the national anthem. Oh, that's strong. Um, just something really like British and patriotic to say that you know we represented our country well. And well, hey, look, man, we're still we're still <laughs> we're still there. We're, we're not falling off the cliff completely. No, but Rush Nation, we are talking about the Scott Fishbowl, and we had a matchup against podcast friend Rain McFarland, and we booked him on today's podcast, thinking that we might get the dub and be able to gloat a little bit. And as you can tell by the tone of our voices. It hasn't happened because Aaron Jones is, I don't know. I uh, Aaron Jones got almost the same as, as Christian McCaffrey. I think the battle was won and lost at quarterback. Lamar Jackson, Aaron Rodgers didn't do it. Mitch, okay, Aaron Jones kind of inflicted on that. And Kirk Cousins, uh, Kirk Cousins did and Winston and that's it. So that, that was the difference throughout the rest of the roster. It's pretty even, but we lost by 20 odd points, but. Hey, this is the way it goes, but it, it doesn't matter because we've got one of the greats of the industry on. Uh, you probably have heard him. If you haven't, you're not 
uh, in the right place. Yeah, <laughs> which is hard because he's pretty much cornered the entire fantasy football market working for the football guys. Matt Walden, RSP, uh, his own fantasy football uh, hustle podcast, which is one of my favorite podcasts to listen to. Recently acquired by established Ryan in a smart piece of work by uh, Evan Silver and Adam Leviton. It is Dwayne McFarlane. Dwayne, welcome to Five Year Rush. How are you doing? Thanks, guys. I mean, if you want to play some music, you can. I'll still let you play it. You're, you're way ahead of me in points for the season. So, I mean, if you, if you want to take a victory lap, you can still do it. No, I, I think no. <laughs> I think uh, I think you should take this time to enjoy your 60-second victory lap because, uh, truth be told, had we won, we would have taken a 60-second victory lap. So, <laughs> 60 seconds, come on, it would have uh, been longer. <laughs> all right, okay, it would have been a podcast lap. So, you know, we carve out 60 seconds for you to – Really enjoy it. You move to four and one. You know, you, you talk very somberly about your team, but let's be honest, you're in a great position to progress. Yeah, I mean, I've I've been fortunate, though, to have the record that I have in this league because I have not scored, you know, the points you guys have. Now, I am thankful, you know, a lot of the players that I have, you know, on my roster that I didn't necessarily feel bad about, you know, heading into the week. It's just that I hadn't been able to get consistent performances across the board you know, from the players, it was hit or miss. It's like, you know, when you go to the golf course, you're hitting your driver really good one day. And then you're like, Oh man, you know, I'm hitting my mid irons really well. And then I get up, you know, around the green and I can't hit a pitching wedge or I can't putt. you know, it's, it's, that's the kind of thing this fantasy lineup has been for me in Scott fishbowl. Um, so to see it all come together on one week is really nice. Only time will tell, you know, if that can continue to go on, you know, I've got some major depth issues, so we'll see how it shakes out in the end. Um, but you know, you guys have a fantastic team. You know, I think you guys have, you know, obviously, you know, the points speak for itself. Where, where are you guys at? Where are you guys sitting now in overall rank for points? So we were 25th coming into this. We have dropped to 39th. So we were leading the conference. We're now third overall in conference. We're about 12 points off first. Yeah, so, I mean, that, obviously, you've got a loaded team. I mean, I'm sitting here looking at it. Christian McCaffrey, you know, Philip Lindsay. Uh, really, I mean, the players I love the most on your team are Cooper Cup, Christian McCaffrey, uh, and Lamar Jackson. You know, Todd Gurley, obviously, not giving you guys what you thought, but, you know, maybe a guy we talk about in a little bit, you know, there's some positive things going on with Todd Gurley. So, I think, you know, the returns that you're getting on him, you know, have a chance to actually increase. So, I mean, you guys, you'll, you'll deal with a – issue with Sterling Shepard with another, you know, concussion, but you guys have a really good bench. I mean, I'm not just saying it just because I'm on your show. I mean, you got Mike Williams still sitting down there. Um, you know, you've got DD Westbrook on your bench. I, I think you guys should, uh, you know, you should feel really good about where you are. Well, we, we hope so. We, you know, I think what we have done with this is the late round picks have, have hit quite nicely. Well, we picked up Will Disley in the 19th round as the 31st tight end off the board. Ka-ching! So that's paid off. I was going to ask you guys if you drafted him. I could not remember. That is huge. Yeah, we took him in the 1904. uh, Yeah, tight end 31 off the board. We actually drafted Demarcus Robinson as well. We drafted him as the uh, wide receiver 96th in the 21st round. Wow. That's called hitting on the deep. that's, That's like unheard of hitting on that on deep targets like that and you guys you know this last week you didn't have carry on johnson either no so i mean yeah that's what i'm saying i mean i i love y'all's i love y'all's squad you know i'm sitting here staring at you know <laughs> i think i took daryl henderson in the eighth round yeah i've i've got <laughs> zero out of that you know so you guys are hitting on guys in the very last picks that you know have you know scored 
well, however many points they've scored since I think Daryl Henderson has zero. That's how many more points they've scored than Daryl Henderson. That's harsh. I think he has one on the air. I think he has contributed somewhere. But, yeah. Hey, I made a move to pick up Darwin Thompson last week, you know, so if four other runners for the Chiefs go down, I could have something, you know, by, like, week 14. To be fair, they're, they're all going down. The, the way that – it's really funny you say that, because we we were doing the notes for our flagship show and uh, going through the the injuries we cover off, and it got so many, it became an, its own standalone content piece with no desires to write a, an injury report fantasy. So, well, well, other guys do it. And, you know, we, we're big fans of Ethan Turner's work and he chimes in and we kind of just push it to, to him because he does a much better job of it. But there were literally, I think, about 20 or 30 fantasy relevant guys that are injured at the moment. So it's like we have to let people know. But it's just crazy how many... I, I, I can't remember a season, and I guess it's, it's you say this every year, but I can't remember a season where there's been this many fantasy-relevant guys in all positions that have gone down. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it starts with the quarterbacks, right? So, and when you have injuries that hit the quarterbacks, that has the greatest cascading effect of all. So while I think from one perspective, we've probably, I think you're actually, your statement on a whole separate level is accurate. Like if you look at the number of fantasy-relevant guys that have gone down, but then it's just totally compounded by the fact that when you lose Ben Roethlisberger, you lose Drew Brees, you know, I mean, even the backup quarterbacks can't stay healthy, you know? So, I mean, we've dealt with uh, Luke Falk for two weeks now, you know, now you're going to, you're going to Pittsburgh Steelers third string quarterback. That for sure. I do not remember this often having so many star quarterbacks and even seeing third string quarterbacks, you know, having to get out there and play. And that just hurts. I mean, that just kills a whole team. Yeah. I mean, Delvin Hodges was a fourth string quarterback. Yeah. Before the trade, <laughs> they traded. They traded their their third string quarterback. So, I mean, yeah, you got to feel for the Steelers a little bit because you just you can't legislate for that. You got an undrafted free agent rookie in Delvin Hodges who's going to start a game. I mean, he, he, for him though, that's the greatest moment of his life. There was a chance he never saw the NFL field. Well, I mean, you, and now he's for the Steelers. But you could say the same for someone like Gardner Minshew. All right, he was drafted in the sixth round, but. How many sixth-round quarterbacks? I mean, Tom Brady's the the most famous. Yeah, but name another. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I can't think of another sixth-round quarterback who's played in the NFL and lighting it up like he is. Yeah, we've definitely had quarterbacks that have been undrafted, like Tony Romo. You know, there, there have been some, but it's obviously uh, they're far fewer than, you know, if you want to put a percentage, you go look at all those guys that had a chance as undrafted or late-round or late round picks and then the percentage of them that actually hit – yeah, uh, you know, I'm guessing it's far less than 1%. Yeah, it's, it's mad. So it's a crazy, crazy season. But it's also been crazy season for you. Since uh, since we last spoke, a lot's happened your way. A lot, a lot more things are happening. Why don't you fill everyone in on what you've been up to since uh, we last spoke? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, so you, you guys hit on it, you know, in the opening. Um, I was I had just started writing for football guys, I think the last time when I talked with you guys, or I'd been doing that for maybe a month. Um, and then this opportunity with Establish the Run recently came up. And so for them, I'm actually writing a column every week. So for those of you that follow me on Twitter at Dwayne McFarland, D-W-A-I-N-M-C-F-A-R-L-A-N-D, you've seen, you know, my work. Uh, you know, if, you know, I started doing this last year, but this preseason, I did a lot of it. And then since the regular season started, 
I've been doing what are known as utilization reports. And essentially it's just a snapshot of each team looking at how they're utilizing their players. And really what I try to dig into are the, you know, are the data points below the surface of production, right? So most people know how many fantasy points guys are averaging. They even know how many yards somebody's getting targets, you know, targets, you know, used to be like, that was like the crazy stat. No one knew. And then, you know, but over the last 10 years, it's like targets are just, it's just like a reception. Everybody knows targets. So what I try to do is really, you know, just dig a level deeper. Um, And the idea is to really get a feel for trends but then understand it within the context of game flow. So like, is a team winning, is a team losing? Um, and then, you know, ultimately, hopefully helps folks make, you know, some calls about some preemptive type moves on their waiver wire, or I have a ton of people that follow me for, um, so folks that like, you know, the daily fantasy, um, I get a ton of interaction, um, you know, from folks wanting to know, you know, more about my thoughts around players for certain weekends and certain matchups, but these utilization reports, you know, I put them out on my Twitter feed. And so establish the run, you know, reached out to me, Evan um, DM'd me and we had a phone conversation about it. Um, and we talked about it for a couple of weeks. And once we got everything worked out and figured out the best way to make it all happen and um, both sides were happy, I started doing that three weeks ago. So this is my third column. I actually just turned it in. I don't know if they've posted it yet, but I worked on the column this morning. And so it's, uh, you know, it's utilization trends. And so what I do for establish the run is I actually write a column versus you having to look through my feed, you know, and in the feed, I don't always, you know, break down, you know, give all of my notes, you know, around the players, you know, I'll just put a few notes on the team. You know, it's really more of a, like a, like I said, a team snapshot. And then you can see the graphic that I insert. And so you can see, you know, snaps, but you can also see routes per drop back, you know, so a lot of people, you know, if you're looking at receivers, for example, it's like snaps really don't matter. What you want to know is who's on the field when the team's dropping back to pass. And that's what this routes per dropback stat, you know, gives them. So, um, you know, it's, it's super helpful, but in the column that I do for establish the run, what I do is I actually break down who I feel the top trends are. And I give a summary, you know, for each player. I'm usually, I try to keep it to around 10, um, this week, like you just, you guys just nailed it a few minutes ago with all the injuries and everything that are, that is going on. And then additionally, I don't know what your thoughts are, but like when I think about this season, I really feel like more than ever, the first two weeks were really just an extension of preseason because we had so many new offensive coordinators, so many new head coaches, so many players that just didn't play a lot in the preseason um, that really a lot of teams were really rusty. Not every team, but a lot of teams were really rusty coming out in the first two weeks. And I really feel the last three weeks have truly given us a truer picture of what a lot of teams really want to do players better understand their schemes that have been installed and, and and the coaches better understand their personnel and, or are evolving to the injuries that are going on around them. And so this past week I was just counting it. Um, I have over 20 players on the article, which is an all time high, but it's just the nature of what you guys were talking about earlier. There's so many injuries to cover and just so many patients, whether it be to quarterback or just because, you know, coaches are figuring things out with their players um, there was just a, a, a ton to cover this week. So the idea, though, like I said, is really like trying to, you know, create this preemptive, you know, you know, insights, you know, for folks where they can try and be ahead of the trends or try and be ahead of, you know, league mates by seeing some of these trends that are emerging. Yeah. I mean, the Ravens are a really good example of that extension of the preseason. They smashed it in the preseason. They won the first two weeks. I think they did win the first two weeks, didn't they? Yeah. I mean, they, they have Miami week one. Which... Yeah, but even so, and then going into three, four and five, they've tailed off because people, like you say, have muddied the field for Lamar Jackson. So I think uh, yeah, I, I quite like that as a 
but I, I look the other way at that as well. So you look at, for example, OBJ and uh, Baker Mayfield. They they don't look like they're on the same page. They no. played zero snaps together in the preseason. And that relationship is so important. They don't get any time together. And, and there are teams now that kind of, you, preseason for them is a waste of time. Um, I, I Jameis Winston got very, very few snaps in the preseason. And he looked rusty week one. And compared to how he looks now, and I'm not saying he is an amazingly changed quarterback, but had he played more in the preseason, the, the mistakes that were there in week one that haven't been there I mean, he, he made a few mistakes on Sunday that he got away with due to uh, penalties. But in two weeks two, three, and four, those errors kind of went away because he, 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 he played, like he got it out of his system. And I think people will look at this now and say, actually, we need to look at getting starters playing more reps in the preseason because there were teams that just came out of the gate and were very, very, very slow. And that week one loss could be the difference for some teams. Yeah, it's massive. When it comes to the playoffs, it's so surprising, isn't it? How sixteen weeks is nothing really. In order to get into the playoffs, you need to be good for the majority of those sixteen weeks, and to waste a couple at the beginning because you haven't played in the preseason is, is pretty ridiculous, really. I think. Well, yeah, and if you look at week one, so we talked about the Redskins and how they came out and you know, looked really good and, and then the Eagles came back. And all right, the, the Eagles ended up getting a W. But if you look at what they've done since the Redskins, I'm less inclined to think that they came out all guns are blazing and that the Eagles just played very, very, very soft in the first half of that game due to the fact that most of those players had not actually played on a field and got reps together and they played a lot softer than they do now. And I think... I don't know, Dwayne. I read your no, I think, yeah. every week and I, and I see the trends over time and you can see people's snap counts going up and you can see um, you know, certain players sort of changing positions and uh, lining up in, in, in different formations because they've kind of worked what, what's working for them. And I think you mentioned uh, probably before we got on, before we were recording, we were talking about the Vikings and they finally got that balance between what they wanted to do. Yeah, it's taken a few weeks. Yeah, absolutely. I think the quarterbacks, like you said, are huge. What you were hitting on with Winston, not getting to play a lot, and you're installing a new offense, you know, with Bruce Arians. So think, how much did Aaron Rodgers play in the preseason? Did he even play? I'm trying to remember now, like my brain is fuzzy. Did he, did he play like a series? <laughs> I think he got I think he got a quarter because he wasn't fit, but I think he did come out for a little yeah. But yeah, he didn't play much. And that's in a new offense. That's in a totally new offense that he's never played under. In he's being asked to play under center more than he ever has in his career. He's being asked to use more play action than he's ever done in his career. And, you know, he's still trying to get up to speed with younger receivers like Marquise Valdez-Scantling, you know, who is only in his second year. You know, he and Jimmy Graham didn't exactly click last year in the offense that he knew like the back of his hand. Um, They were trying to get this running game going. So – yeah, I mean, if you think, and you know, Minnesota is another, you know, great example um, of a team, you know, with Kirk Cousins that's very similar scheme, you know, where they're asking Kirk Cousins to do a lot of the same things that Aaron, they're asking Aaron Rodgers to do in Green Bay. And, you know, so I, I think that with so many changes offensively paired with that time, especially at quarterback, we're just now starting to get a true read. Yeah, I, and as well, I look at, the, for me, the biggest, the biggest team that have disappointed the most this season compared to where they were last season, and probably the greatest example of where preseason wasn't taken seriously 
was the you know the Chicago Bears because that for me they've not done they've not done anything uh, really this season that has stood out to impress that defense has but the offense has been has been awful and Mitch Trubisky didn't play in the offseason he didn't play in preseason you know he, he rolled up um, he rolled up against against the uh, against the Packers they score three points on offense he didn't look game ready week one that's a, that's a lot that's a divisional loss. You know, they've just lost in... I mean, okay, it's not with Trubisky because he's hurt, but they didn't look great against Denver. They squeaked a win, but only scoring 16 points. They weren't good Sunday against the Raiders. No, I mean, that's not Trubisky. That's a change of quarterbacks. You, you have more sympathy with that defeat. But, yeah, but it's still the same side, isn't it? Yeah. They haven't looked great. But, but they had no no passing touchdowns through three weeks. It's only when they played Washington in week three that they finally register a, a passing touchdown. Really, when you think about it, what quarterback that's in a scheme change has really looked good? I mean, the Cardinals, we've seen some flashes, but it's just okay for Murray. I would say it's less than what the people that were in on Murray took him much higher than what his value is. If we look at Atlanta, Matt Ryan does not look good. Yeah, he's coming up with yards, but he's not efficient. They're not running this offense the way they want to. Their ground game looks terrible. You know, if we look at, you know, the, you know, the Bears are still the same. But if you look at the Bengals, that's a new offense. Their offense has looked terrible, you know, overall. You already talked about the Browns. Um, the Cowboys kind of tweaked their offense, and we thought they came out looking great. But it, they may be more of, you know, the example like what you talked about at the beginning, you know, with Washington. It could be much more to do just with the bad teams they played, you know, the first week, their first three weeks. Look at Denver. Denver's a new offense. Just now, we're starting to see, you know, Joe Flacco actually show any, you know, viable signs of being able to throw for over 200 yards in a game, whereas the first two weeks, you know, it was terrible. I would say the one team might be Detroit, who's come out hotter, and, and they've surprised more people. But think about it. Matt Stafford played a lot in the preseason with them installing that offense. But the Packers, the same way. Um, if you look at, you know, the Jaguars, yeah, Minshew's kind of been the factor there. They do have a new offense, so that hasn't been terrible. Um, if you look at, you know, what's going on in Miami, well, we can just skip it because, you know, they don't have any players. <laughs> Minnesota hasn't been good. I mean, the Giants, I, I guess we could say, but that's, you know, that's really a second-year offense, you know, with, uh, you know, Pat Shermer. You know, the Jets, are they have a new scheme under Adam Gase, probably more to do with their quarterback, you know, getting hurt, you know, or mononucleosis, but that hasn't been good. Um, so, I mean, really, I'm just sitting here thinking through this, and I'm like, what, what offenses that are really installing a new offense have their quarterbacks really played well? It's probably just Matt Stafford. At this point, you know, and, and Jameis Winston's gotten a little warmer as we've gone. But to your point, he wasn't good in the first two weeks. No. Well, I mean, week two, I think he managed the game well. Like, the situation. Yeah, the Thursday night game. Yeah, yeah. He, he grew up a lot in that game and did what needed to be done. But, yeah, week one, he was he was atrocious. He, he threw away a win. Like, we would, like, the Buccaneers would win that game. But just on the Jets, so I, I read something earlier that was really fascinating. But the Jets this year are averaging – 13 and a half yards, 13.5 yards per drive this season. And oh yet goodness. Christian McCaffrey on his own is averaging 14.2 yards per drive this year. Jesus. Wow. That's not good for Le'Veon Bell. <laughs> well, no, they're, they're talking about this Jets offense. Is, statistically, it's got the worst yards per attempt through five games since 1970. Their average margin of victory is minus 15.3 which is third worst than the league. Miami's the worst by far than the Redskins at 15.6 and then the Jets at 15.3. That's the average they lose by. 
it's that, yeah, you just, I've not, I don't remember, honestly, I'll tell you what, I do not remember a time in the league where there were three offenses that bad or where there were just three teams period that bad. Well, I think there's more than three teams that are bad. There's, there's five teams. Well, I, I'm just saying those are three teams that are all losing by more than two touchdowns a week on average. I mean, you, we sort of put a joke up on Twitter that the next week's showdown between the Redskins and the, and the Dolphins is, is the two of all because I can't re- – the weird thing is I, I, I would not be shocked if Miami win on Sunday. As bad as they are, I just think because at least the players understand what the objective is, so they'll play with less fear. Like if they lose, there's no repercussion. And then they'll go and win. But that's what I mean. I, <laughs> I just think like you've got two really bad football teams out there. One doesn't know who its quarterback is on Sunday. At least the other one, the Dolphins, kind of know, and they know that it's okay to lose. Like they, they, if they lose, there's no repercussion. There's no going to the training ground on Monday and getting getting their asses handed <laughs> by coaching staff. It's like you lost. You did kind of what you're supposed to do. That's fine. And I just can't think in that situation where one team is playing with so little pressure and the other one is playing with so much having lost their coach. It wouldn't shock me if Miami come out and win this. They also about Miami being an 0-16 team, but I think this is the one game they can win. Pressure does weird things to people. Agree. On, on a sort of losing tangent, Murph, did you see the tweet Lee put out earlier about the ESPN tweet? No. Okay, so ESPN tweet. I don't know if you saw this, Dwayne, today. Uh, ESPN tweeted out that 103 years ago today, Georgia Tech beat Cumberland 222 to nothing in the most lopsided game in college football history, right? Okay. Georgia rushed for 978 yards. They did not pass the ball once. There was not even a passing attempt. In that game, running backs mattered, maybe. It might have just been more the offensive line. (laughs) Whatever happened, the quarterback had a day off. Maybe they just went wildcat every single play. But that, well, the quarterback ran. The quarterback probably was their lead running back. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't. They had 32 rushing touchdowns. Uh, Cumberland turned the ball over 15 times. They had minus 42 rushing yards, and their quarterback <sighs> went two for 18, 14 yards, and six interceptions. <laughs> it's almost as bad as Baker Mayfield last night. Jeez. Yeah, I believe he gave me a donut. Hey, you're lucky you played in the league where it was a donut. In some leagues, it's minus two. Yeah, I know. Someone tweeted us the, today that they were... Uh, Don't tell me they lost because they started yeah. Baker. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. They were, ahead, they were ahead by 1.4 points, and they lost by 0.6. I had that happen to me one time, I don't know, seven or eight years ago, and it was Jay Cutler. I mean, Browns fans better hope that they don't have Jay Cutler. Well... That one is a different Kettler version in terms of, for me, Freddie Kitchens needs to hand over the, the offensive key Agree. To, to Todd Monkin. Todd Monkin, I, I, I've watched Todd Monkin's scheme offenses with Tampa last season. You know, he, he got Fitz Magic to play like a Hall of Fame quarterback for three weeks in a row. Like, we're talking about this man knows how to scheme an offense. He knows how to call an offense. It's, it's the way that he can pick up coverages very, very quickly. I just think as a head coach, and I'm not saying Freddie Kitchens isn't a good offensive play caller because last season he proved he was. But I think people underestimate the extra things that you have to do. You have to think of so many things. You have to think of the defensive side. You have to watch every play. Think, do you need to challenge? Do you not need to challenge? You know, you, you're looking at the time implications. You're looking at the game management. You can't just strictly focus on one thing. And I think Freddie Kitchens is, is struggling with all the different facets of the game right now. And he needs to trust his staff. That's why he hired them. 
Yeah, I, I agree. Um, what was interesting is a couple of weeks ago, and he gets asked about it after every game, but a couple of weeks ago when someone asked him, you know, about handing the play calling duties basically over to Monken, you know, he said it just wouldn't be feasible, which like just makes you wonder, like, where does a statement like it wouldn't be feasible come from? I mean, is, is Monken, you know, not as involved with, you know, getting the offense ready? you know, for the week, because to your point, maybe Kitchens is so down in the weeds with the offense, you know, but then figuring out life as a head coach that he's still got to go spend this time in these other areas, you know, that, you know, maybe, you know, but he's still just been trying to keep, you know, Monken out of the way and he's trying to, you know, just be the guy leading it because I would, I would have thought that, man, you have Monken still running a lot of your offensive meetings and that he would be so integrated, even though you're make you're the play caller, he would be so integrated into everything you're doing. The comment wouldn't be, it's not feasible. Now, of course, he could have just said that because it's a pride thing, right? He just doesn't want to answer. You know, the, the, the real thing is he just doesn't want to give up play calling duties, which, you know, that's fine too. But I did find it interesting that he, you know, said it wouldn't be feasible. It just made me start thinking, okay, well, why would it not be feasible? Is he not you know, involved? Does he have him doing other things? I mean, what's, what's really going on, you know, but I'm with you. I think that Monken has already proven what he can do. And it would also, I think Kitchens would find, you know, that it would help himself a lot as well, given the other responsibilities that he now has on his plate, you know, that, you know, he didn't really have to worry about before, you know, it's, it's interesting, you know, because when you see um, some of these other young coaches that have succeeded, you know, think about Sean McVay. And think about what he does. I don't think he's super involved with his defense. I don't think he's like this head coach. I think he's a good motivator and he talks to his team. But really, I think 70% of what Sean McVay does in a week, 70% of it's offense, getting his offense ready. So it's kind of funny, right? You have these two different situations that have just played out opposite. It didn't work for Freddie Kitchens, but it did work for Sean McVay. You know, I mean, there's a lot going into that, you know, but anyway, I digress. No, it's a fair point because you've got Steve Wilkes there and you would think Steve Wilkes being a former head coach is someone that you would think understands what Freddie Kitchens is going through having been in that position 12 months ago. Yeah. And as someone on staff, you would think, let me help this guy out. Let me take something off his plate. It's really weird. The way you were just talking about how Kitchens was describing Munkins from the words you heard, it's the exact same stuff I heard from Dirk Cutter last year as to why he took the play calling duties off of Todd Monkey. But it, it, it was that exact same thing. It was, he had the responsibilities to start the season, had the bad loss to Chicago, and then at the bye week, Cutter fired good friend Mike Smith, because the defence was arguably one of the worst we've ever seen. And, you know, they made a change that was forced upon them. In fact, it wasn't even at the bye. It was after the bye. It was after they lost to Atlanta in another shocking performance. And then at the same point, Cutter took the play calling duties off of Munkin and kept them for himself. Now, maybe that's because he thought, I, I'm playing for my job here. I want to be in control of my own destiny. But a lot of the same words. So I wonder if there is something there with Munkin that, I don't know, Kitchens doesn't trust or doesn't see, or I, I don't know. It's a very strange situation as to what's going over the grounds. I'd be interested to find out, once it's all said and done, what the true story is. Yeah, I agree. Anyway, we have digressed massively, which is awesome. <laughs> Where do we go now? Well, <laughs> 
<laughs> the best the best pods are always digression. Absolutely. So let's talk some fantasy. That's why people are here, guys. Come on. Yeah, yeah we've gone through the X's and O's a little bit. <laughs> and mindsets and psychology. So, Dwayne, how's your 2019 fantasy season going? It's going okay. You know, um, it's not going as good as I would want it, you know, to be. You know, I play in a ton of leagues. So it's not one of those, you know, you have those seasons, um, you know, where you just know everything's like clicking and everything is, you know, falling into place. It's definitely not that kind of year. There are some players that, you know, I own quite a bit that just haven't come through on where I thought they would be. So for example, like Devonta Freeman in the third round is a player that, you know, I drafted across quite a few leagues. Um, you know, OJ Howard is a guy that I have too much exposure to. So a lot of this first part of this season, while thing, things are going better now, a lot of this first part of the season honestly has been triage, <laughs> like trying to fix, you know, the, some of the things, uh, just some of the certain players that I had, you know, invested too heavily in, you know, and if I wasn't getting OJ Howard, um, you know, the next guy in line for me had been Vance McDonald, which is who I own in the Scott Fishbowl. Well, you know, silly me to think that Vance McDonald could ever play a season, you know, without getting hurt, but I've been managing through those things. But now that, you know, we're coming out on the other side of a lot of those waiver wire moves, um, you know, it's, I'm, my teams are starting to, you know, get going, um, which is good. You know, I think another thing that's helping me is some of the topics that we've already talked about. A lot of the other teams are dealing, you know, a lot of the other fantasy owners, everybody's dealing with something this year. I mean, if, if you're a fantasy owner that's sitting out there and you have not been hit by either injury or your quarterback has been injured, that then hurts all the weapons that you drafted from that team, you know, those sort of things. If that hasn't hit you yet, basically you should play the lottery because, you know, you're very, very, very fortunate. Most people are dealing with the same thing. So, which is, that's the positive because it's kept me from falling too far behind, right. In any of these leagues. Whereas in some years, you know, if other teams weren't, you know, not as many teams were, were dealing with the misfortune that you were dealing with, you know, it can easily get out of hand, you know, really quickly. So having said all that, yeah, it was a little bit of a rough start, but things are starting to level off. Um, you know, I've made some, you know, good moves as far as free agency goes. And then, you know, I own a lot of Tyreek Hill, so I'll be happy to get Tyreek Hill back <laughs> soon. Um, you know, that's going to be big for me. Um, so it's, I'm interested to see, you know, what happens. I haven't fallen too far behind, you know, and I'm just, keep working at it. But I would say it's one of those years where, you know, I've got just as many teams that are, you know, Oh, and five as I do that are five and Oh, and then I've got mostly what I have are teams that are all in the middle, right? They're three and two or they're two and three, you know, they be sitting in the top third of points the league or right around half, you know, 50%, the 50 percentile for the league. And I'll have a ton of teams that are just scoring terribly. But again, a lot of that is due to, um, the other teams around me, you know, haven't been going insane either. Yeah. Uh, I mean, one of the things I'm, I'm really keen to talk to you about, someone who, who really thinks about the strategy of the game quite a lot, is some of the trends so far this year, and I appreciate we're dealing with a sample size that's about 30% of the season, fantasy season has, has, has gone. I think what's interesting is everybody goes with all these, you know, preordained strategies as much as everyone tries and talks people out of it of, uh, I'm going to go wide receiver, wide receiver, running back, running back. And you've had these people that invested high in quarterbacks, whether that be Patrick Mahomes or um, Baker Mayfield or Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers, for example, or Andrew Luck, which was unfortunate. Um, and you have people invest in tight ends such as Kelsey and Kittle and Ertz. And 
we were 30% of the way through and the only category of skill position where the investment kind of marries up with the, the, the rankings of the total season so far is, is running back. Well, I would, I would even say that there's only one running back that really warrants, and that's Christian McCaffrey. I mean, Barkley's injury, obviously you can't, but Zeke hasn't been the Zeke we thought he was going to be. Kamara's injury with Drew Brees, he's not. But having said that, I mean, McCaffrey's one, Zeke is 10 in half PPR scoring, and Kamara, I think, is five or six. And since you're drafting those players to be, and, and Zeke held out, so he kind of didn't really have a big impact week one, True. which kind of missed out. And then Saquon's injured, which you can't legislate for. But at least those guys are in the, those four picks are in the, I mean, Barkley isn't because he's not played. But, but would be. But he would be based on the, the trendy result. Are in the top 10 of scoring in their position. But if you look at quarterback, you know, the top rated quarterback is Lamar Jackson, who was a late round QB, Russell Wilson, late round QB. Then you have Watson and Mahomes. Then you have Dak Prescott, late round QB. Matt Ryan, just before the late round QBs. Kyler Murray, late round QB. Tom Brady, late round QB. Well, like, Brady might not have even been a late round QB. If, yeah, if, if drafted, you know, wide receiver, Chris, Chris Godwin is the wide receiver one in fantasy football right now. He's also the new wide receiver one in Tampa. I, th- I think double coverage and single coverage means a lot. But, you know, DJ Chark is the wide receiver five. Uh, Will Fuller is the, I mean, he's heavily skewed by one game. But Cortland Sutton is the tight end, is the wide receiver eight and a half point PPR scoring. Tight ends, Austin Hooper is the number one tight end in fantasy football on half point PPR. The, the investment of where people have been, and I appreciate it's a small scale, but where people have drafted to get an advantage in a skill position, it hasn't quite panned out this far into the season. What are you, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Do you have any other takes as to value position drafting and, and things like that? Yeah, I mean, I, I really do believe that it just changes, you know, from year to year. Um, I think in this particular year, you know, it is, it's shaking out you know, the way you guys that just, you know, laid it out. Um, and yeah, we are on a small trend, you know, a small sample size, but we do have a decent trend around all the players you guys have named, you know, Austin Hooper. Do I see him just completely falling off the face of the earth? No. Do I see him being the tight end one by the end of this year? No, because he's just not getting, you know, enough opportunity. And we know that Julio Jones isn't going to stay at 19% of the target share. And we know Calvin Ridley isn't going to stay at 14%. You know, it's like what you said. A lot of this so far has still been dictated by what the other defenses are doing, the way the game script played out. But overall, you know, from a strategy standpoint, um, you know, I think it this year, to your point, there haven't really been um, many runners that have paid off that you took late, whereas at tight end, you could have done it. You know, you guys, you talked about in Fishbowl earlier, Will Disley, most leagues, you didn't even have to draft him. Um, Darren Waller, until the very end of the preseason, uh, and then you would have had to even be in a deeper draft, you know, for him to be drafted in the, at the end of the preseason, um, you know, has come through guys. Now there was a ton of hype around Chris Godwin and it just turns out, you know, that it was right. But when I look at the receivers that went in the first three, the way I've thought about this, the most of this season, you know, maybe this is a good way to kind of encapsulate, you know, my thoughts because I do think it changes every year. Um, I really, and I think we even talked about this on our, on the pod I joined before, but it was really around figuring out, which running backs you wanted to put a stake in the ground on in rounds three and four. And because some of them were going to hit and then some of them weren't going to hit. Now, carry on Johnson looks like he'll be on his way now because you know, the utilization trends are very strong now that CJ Anderson is gone, but Devonta Freeman, you know, has been a miss. 
if somebody took Sony Michelle, you know, in the third or fourth round, yeah, things are starting to level out for Michelle, but people probably, probably really aren't happy, you know, with that pick. Um, if you look at Josh Jacobs, he's a game script dependent, you know, running back. Um, so even though he just had a big week against the bears, what did it take? It take, you know, the Raiders jumping out like a 20 on a 21 to three lead to get Josh Jacobs, the kind of work you need, you know, to really make him a viable fantasy play week in and week out. And that's just not going to continue. So the biggest takeaway that I have, you know, so far is I wish I would have been drafting Keenan Allen and Amari Cooper and a lot of those, you know, even Adam Thielen, you know, you could slide into the mix, you know, in the fourth round. I don't think, you know, Thielen is a guy that people feel super great about in the third round. Um, but those receivers that were going in that round, I wish that I had drafted those guys more than some of those runners. Like I said, I do think on Johnson will be fine. Aaron Jones is the other, right? Until this last week when Jamal Williams was completely gone, you know, Aaron Jones was leading the way for that team, but his weekly upside was capped by Jamal Williams and his use in the passing game. And then, you know, coming in and stealing some of the carries. So for me, the biggest issue this year, you know, has been the running backs that were taken in the third round. You know, you hear a lot of analysts, like even like Scott Barrett and some of these guys, they would say, hey, bell cow or bust was kind of the approach. And that was probably, you know, really, you know, the right approach. There were just several guys that I thought were going to be in line for much more work. Like I said, on Johnson's probably going to get there. But where will Aaron Jones end up once Jamal Williams comes back? Do we really trust the Packers coaching staff to, to say, wow, Aaron Jones is pretty awesome. Let's keep handing him the ball. Well, really, if you look at this last week, even with him getting all of those fantasy points, they still worked Trey Carson in. So it's in their veins that they want to work two running backs into the mix, and they're going to cap Aaron Jones' looks every week. So for me, this year, if you were in that third round and you landed the right receiver, you're feeling a lot better than dealing with some of the running back you know, headaches. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think the, the, only, the only thing on this that I find interesting is I guess it's every year we, we try and say don't take a quarterback early because – and listen, there's no doubt – in my mind now that Patrick Mahomes will end the season as the the QB one. I am pretty barring an injury and barring anything else. It's it's pretty certain he will probably be the, the quarterback one in fantasy football this year. But is he going to have the point per game difference to warrant him going in the third round over someone like a Lamar Jackson or a Dak Prescott and whoever else might be in in that realm? to where that's made a difference because of what you've had to give up tight end, the same wide receiver to a degree, the same, because again, reverting back to them, you might get Devontae Adams or Julio Jones become the wide receiver one, but how far given how many points they are already behind, how many points are they going to finish ahead of these guys like Godwin Cooper Cup that you could have got at a later stage. Whereas I think with running back, you know, if you have Christian McCaffrey on your team right now, you're pretty happy that you have a potentially a title winning team if he is your centerpiece because barring him going down, you know, you're not worried about volume and you're not worried about, you know, him not scoring because he'll, he'll be a, a, a running back one nine times out of 10 in scoring weeks. And it's interesting because those third round guys, the one guy that we missed off this list who remarkably has been arguably the most consistent running back is Derek Henry. And this is when you know that, wacky things are going on something's not right <laughs> because he's arguably been the most consistent running back in terms of performance week to week he's given you a 
a solid, not a game-winning week, but not... He's not uh, killed you, is he? But he's not killed you. He's getting a reasonable amount of points. And it's pretty consistent what he scores between. So he's always ending in that mid to late RB1 every week, maybe high-end RB2 at worst. So it is interesting that... And again, everything's going to change, as you, as you say, Dwayne. But I just found it interesting that so far, most people are looking at their drafts and the teams that walked away from their drafts pretty happy having drafted, say, James Conner and Julio Jones or Noob Hopkins and... and oh, I went I went zero RB and I drafted Nuke and Julio in the first two rounds and I am absolutely getting murdered in yeah. that league. That's what I mean. But I mean, if you consider the other end of the draft, you went CMC, Keenan Allen and then on Johnson as your first three rounds, you're feeling pretty good about life right now. Yeah. And I think... On the flip side of that, Dwayne, do you have any advice for fantasy players who are, say, uh, 0-5, and 1-4, and 4, even 2-3, and 3, and what they can look to do to turn their season around, perhaps? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and like I said, I'm in that scenario multiple times, you know, this season. And I've had that happen in the past. And, I mean, the main thing is just you got to keep taking in the information. you got to try to get information that, you know, is going to help give you an edge over your league mates. And you just have to keep working the waiver wire. You know, now it depends on if you're in a shorter bench league or if you're in a deeper bench league, you know, what size league you're in, all those sorts of things, you know, obviously come into play. But the central theme is still the same. You know, you just want to keep working through this stuff because every year, you know, and think about it, we haven't had a ton of huge free agents. Despite all of the injuries that have occurred, it's not like we've had a ton of huge free agents outside of the tight ends. And then DJ Chark, you know, was often undrafted. Um, we haven't had a lot of, you know, really, really big splashy. Oh my gosh, we didn't know about this player and now they're great. Right. We don't have a big list of those considering all the injuries that we've went through. It's kind of you know surprising. Yeah. You guys talked about Demarcus Robinson earlier and you drafted him, but most people didn't, but really he's only given one week right a fantasy performance it's not like you know while Tyreek Hill was out that this guy was a wide receiver one every week you know um so my biggest my biggest you know advice would be you know is to stay patient those things are going to come there's going to be players that are still going to come out um you know that will turn out to be you know difference makers for your team you know through you know the rest of the season that you can get off your waiver wire still and again you know it depends on the format but you know the other thing is obviously you know, looking to, if, if you're in a league that allows trades, obviously you're looking to buy high, you want to sell low, you know, all those typical things. I'm, I'm trying not to sound too generic, but I think you just have to keep trying to kick the tires on everything that you can. Um, this is one of the big reasons actually that I do the utilization reports um, is to really try to give people a level of insight that is again, back to that preemptive, you know, style of trying to play the game versus waiting for something to happen trying to see, you know, if there's a trend that you may see that gives you, you know, an edge, you know, in three weeks that you're already seeing the trend today, you know? So for example, you know, here's a really good one. If, if you're playing in a deep league, think how many leagues that are out there right now, guys, that Reggie Bonifon is unowned. <laughs> Seriously. And I know you own that 9.9%. Yeah. But if you think about what the way people think about, you know, handcuffs that could change your league, people still aren't thinking about him. But when we drafted, Ty Montgomery was being drafted in every draft by the end of the preseason because he was Le'Veon Bell's backup. But Reggie Bonifon is just still sitting out there. And he's clearly McCaffrey's handcuff because the two games 
games where McCaffrey hasn't had carries, who has he given those carries to? It's been Bonifon. Because he's the guy that's not saying he is McCaffrey, but he's in McCaffrey's He's stylistically like McCaffrey. He's the guy that can operate out of the backfield as a receiver. If it, They won't have to change their whole offense for this guy, right? Versus Jordan Scarlett, if all of a sudden you make him your back, your whole offense really has to change. And so there are examples like that that are out there, but you got to be pr- proactive about it. you got to go let him sit on your bench, you know, because in three weeks when McCaffrey, you know, and I hope nothing happens to McCaffrey because all my best teams, just like you guys said, they all have McCaffrey on them and they're the teams I'm the most excited about. But I own McCa- I own Bonifon on all of those. And I did that a week ago whenever I saw him come in the game and play. It was all I needed to see. So if you're the McCaffrey owner, you need to own him, you know, unless you're in a super shallow league. Even then, you know, I could you, you might have somebody sitting on your bench that is just like, you know what, we don't have to have this guy, you know, over this guy. Um, so those kind of guys, you know, they're, they're still sitting out there and those are the, those are the type of things you're looking for. They're the guys that could really, you know, change your season and you want to be carrying them now because the more you get into bye weeks, you know, then you'll have to start making decisions to cut them. But right now where we're still only dealing with a few teams, you know, four weeks on, you know, four teams on bye week you know, it's easier to get through with carrying, you know, guys that are like that. Um, so that, that's what I would say, you know, I mean, you guys, you, you talked about how bad Chicago's offense has been and it has been, but they have a player on their team and Anthony Miller, who was hurt in the preseason. Most people don't even talk about it. He sprang He just didn't get over it. But if you look at his routes per drop back, they've gone from 62 to 74 to 86% over the last three weeks. He actually had 23% of the targets last week and nobody's talking about it. Why? Well, because it's the bears passing game. And right now the bears passing game sucks. But he's, a, he's the type of guy in a deeper league that I still want to own. I want to have him on my roster because the Bears, they do have a good coordinator. I do believe Matt Nagy knows how to coach offense. Now, whether or not they have a quarterback that can get things together is still remains to be seen. But Anthony Miller is the type of player that would it surprise me by the end of the year if all of a sudden the Bears got going, that he was the second best receiver, the second best passing option to own on the team? It wouldn't surprise me. You know, Jacoby Myers for the New England Patriots. Both times the Patriots have had a pass receiver go down on their team. Edelman in week three, Dorsett in week five. Who stepped in? Jacoby Myers. And this is a guy that played really well in the preseason. He's available in almost every single league. I like a guy like him because if for some reason Edelman went down for the year, Jacoby Myers could become as good as your wide receiver too. He's going to play the slot role for Edelman. And he has other paths to value because last week it was Philip Dorsett, their field stretcher who went down. And guess what? Jacoby Myers still came in and took his snaps. So he has multiple paths to value and he has a really good quarterback. So, I mean, there's all sorts of guys that are like that, that are out there. You can't pick them up and expect to put them into your lineup and say, Oh, I'm going to go win this week with them. But you have to be carrying them when they pop versus always counting on having to go get them as a free agent. Once it happens, if Christian McCaffrey goes down this week, Bonifon will cost your whole fab budget, or you'll need to be, if you're in a league that's still silly enough to do this to where, it's just based on an, on an order. You're just have to be lucky enough to be the guy that's first. Yeah. The only way to beat your league mates, you know, and to gain an upper, you know, an upper hand whenever your team isn't the best already is you have to do these sorts of moves. You have to make these preemptive style pickups and you have to be patient with them. And, you know, I, that's what I'm constantly doing. I'm constantly looking. I want to get the guys that I can get for a dollar in free agency with my blind bidding dollars this week versus the guy that's going to cost me 70 next week. Yeah, I completely agree. And, and I'm a big fan now as we're heading into bye weeks 
they're starting buying guys who are heading into a buy because people won't buy them. Yes. Cole, Cole Beasley this week is someone who's getting a lot of targets off Josh Allen and the way that he is, the amount of yardage and production he's got to have not scored a touchdown is incredibly unlucky. So you know that he's going to have some positive regression in the touchdown department, but he's had nine targets in three of his five games. And one of them, you know, Josh Allen went down. So, you know, it's easy to explain that he's going to get volume in an offense and okay, it's not the best offense, but I'll take a guy who's going to get nine targets um, every week and get six, seven catches in the PPR league. I'm buying him for a dollar this week on in, in, you know, fab budget leagues where I've got space to stash him because next week he's going to cost me seven, eight bucks. Yeah. If you, and if you are in a league that allows trades, I'll give people a few names. You guys want me to? Yeah, absolutely. Buy low. Go buy Mike Williams. He was hurt in week four because he had, he had back spasms that held him out. But in week three, his number of routes ran per drop, per drop back skyrocketed. And then week five coming back the same. And he saw 23% of the targets the week before Dontrell Inman, literally a no one saw 23% of the targets playing for Mike Williams. So this is a team, you know, that has a good quarterback in Phillip rivers. It has an offense. that's going to eventually get its legs under it. It's got offensive line problems, but this is an offense that can score three or four touchdowns every week. Mike Williams, his day is coming. You know, this last week he was, he was on the field for 98% of the times Phillip rivers dropped back to pass. He just hasn't had his big week yet, but it's coming, you know, so like that's a guy to go buy, you know, right now. Um, you know, if you're just trying to get through this weekend, you know, for example, maybe you've got a, a person on by, you know, this is another way to do it. Don't be afraid to pick up a guy for a week and then let him go. A guy like Geronimo Allison last week, he played the most snaps he's played all year, 86%. But more importantly, he was in a route on 92% of the times Aaron Rodgers dropped back. They didn't have to use him because the Cowboys couldn't stop Aaron Jones. So there was no need to force things. But if the Packers get into a game where it's actually more of a game and it's closer early and Devontae Adams is out, Geronimo Allison is going to you know, be out there. He's still available in a ton of the leagues. Um, you know, if you already talked about Anthony Miller, already talked about, you know, uh, Jacoby Myers, um, another Patriot, Matt Lacoste for the New England Patriots. Um, you know, he hurt his ankle, you know, and in the preseason, then he tried to come back a little too early and then he ended up having to miss time. And now they've slowly worked him back. They've decided they're not even going to keep Ben Watson. This guy was out on the field for 94% of the snaps last week, 89% of the time Tom, Tom Brady dropped back to pass. He was running a route on a team where we know we've got you know, two receivers banged up and Edelman and Dorsett, and they have a really good quarterback. This is another potential, you know, guy that if you're hurting it tight end, he's worth stashing, you know, and, and he may not be a long-term answer. Once everybody's healthy, I hardly see him being like the second or third option in the passing game, but he might be the second option in the passing game for a few weeks. And, you know, so these are the type of guys, you know, that can get you by, um, you know, and again, a lot of these are four deeper leagues, you know, that, which is mostly what I play in. If people are playing in, in more shallow leagues, you know, they may have other options that are available that are even better, um, which is fine. But you, you play to the level of, you know, whatever your league is. So if you're in a, if you're in a league that, you know, has, you know, higher caliber players available, that's great. But you should continually be trying to work the wire and figure out you know, who are the guys that you can get ahead of your league mates on. You know, another guy right now that, is really, and I didn't even really like him coming in, but we talked about Denver earlier. They're installing a new offense. 
I know they want to run the ball as much as they can, but if you look at the last three weeks, Cortland Sutton, you know, and you look at his routes per drop back in the first few weeks, it was all about Emmanuel Sanders, right? And in the first few weeks, if you saw Emmanuel Sanders, you know, his routes per drop back were, I'm pulling it up right now, 89% and 93%. In the last three weeks, he's dropped down to 79, wait, sorry, 78%, 87%, and 80%. Whereas Cortland Sutton's staying on the field pretty much every time Joe Flacco passes. Yet, we haven't seen, you know, him have this huge, you know, explosion, you know, of points. He's had solid points, 14, 24, and 19 in a PPR. But for whatever reason, like if you, when you talk to people about Cortland Sutton, they're just, they're kind of oblivious. They're just like, oh, well, Emmanuel Sanders is the number one receiver when really he's not. You know, Cortland Sutton has really passed him in every way at this point. It's not saying Emmanuel Sanders can't be, you know, good and still have value. But right now, Cortland Sutton's a guy that you can still go by and people aren't that crazy about having on their roster. So, I mean, the, there, there are just tons of guys like that, you know, that are out there. Um, and I would say, if we're talking like teaching someone how to fish versus just giving them a list of names, go look for the players that they're, they're getting targets, they're running routes when their quarterback, you know, is dropping back to pass, you know, or if they're in the running game, you know, it's obvious they're getting volume, but they just haven't scored the fantasy points yet. And then the players you want to sell are the ones that are scoring fantasy points, but their underlying, um, you know, data sample really doesn't support it. You know, so for example, they're the guys that, you know, maybe they're only playing 50% of the time, but, you know, they're in the top 24 at their position. You know, being able to sustain those sort of things is not very typical. You have to take context, you know, obviously into account. You know, if they're in one of the best offenses in the league, sometimes it's better to own a guy that plays 50% of the time than to own a guy that plays 75% of the time when he plays for the Jets. So you got to keep those things in mind. But those are the sort of things that, you know, I'm always looking. Yeah, just on that, one, one player that I've, I've been urging everybody to sell as quickly as possible is Delaney Walker. Because there are still people that are mad enough to buy tight ends, and his usage is absolutely tumbling. Like John 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 o. Smith is going to win that job outright. I'd say he probably already has won it based on the usage from Sunday. And the Lady Walker is a person who is, I think he's dropped around about fifty percent of snap share. So I think he's going to be irrelevant in the next few weeks. So I would just sell him now and hope just to get something. With him, I would just say I would be careful. I agree that it's tumbling, but he's been very limited in practice. And so I, I do know that he's dealing, you know, with an injury. Um, you know, he's got a knee injury going on and they're not talking a lot about it, but it's definitely limited in him. It's limited him the last two weeks throughout practice. So just something to monitor. But to your point, like, I agree. It's, it's, it's a great example of a name that has value, but if you look at his snaps, they've gone down. If his routes per uh, drop back um, in the first few weeks, and again, some of this could be injury, but 67%, 66%, 68%, and then he's down to 41. He climbed back to 55% this last week, whereas Jonu Smith was only running around 29% of plays, which is still really low. Jonu Smith, if you look at it, his usage in the passing game, like number of routes ran per drop back, has not changed. 30%, 26%, 34%, 41%, and then back down to 29%. So, I would just, I would kind of keep an eye on that one. It's one where Delaney, I think still might be the lead guy, but if you can get something for him, you know, and you don't have to deal with the doubt that, you know, go ahead. I'm not so sure that John o. Smith just beats him out though. <laughs> Shade. There we go. So we've done some buy sells. Let's do some start sits for week six using your utilization report. 
Have you got any players that you recommend people to start this week? Uh, honestly, I haven't even got into my start sit stuff, you know, for this week, but if you guys throw some out or you want to talk through some, um, you know, we can do that. Yeah. Um, so I guess just pulling up, uh, a few that I see, I've got people now, so we send our, we put our start sits column out on Wednesday to just try and beat some of the rush. And, uh, some people get to me like as early as, as Monday. So <laughs> Which I think is mad because it's like there's still a game going on. You still got the Monday night game. I don't answer those questions until like Wednesday or Thursday. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Twitter folks. I love all of you, and I I do eventually get back to most people, or I try to anyway. But yeah, it, I'm with you. It's like man, it's still Monday. I don't know. I haven't thought enough about it. Yeah, I again, I have the same. And then um, and then we had the Sunday. We put ours up, and then we got about maybe a hundred people putting requests that were coming through at like two minutes to six it's like i don't even know if i can type a response quick enough for you to then make the change oh oh on this start sit malarkey i would like to toot my own horn a little bit here on the way to the game at tottenham on sunday some guy on the concourse of the train station stopped me to ask whether he should play matt Breda or uh, melvin gordon and his mates were all giving him stick for playing Breda. oh uh, no for considering playing Breda. and i said no Breda is definitely the play here and he was getting grief so if you are listening, congratulations if you started Breeder. <laughs> and if you didn't start Breeder, I told you to, man. Come on. <laughs> I love that. So a couple I've had. I haven't had many, so we'll go through these. Auden Tate against the Ravens or Curtis Samuel against the Bucks. Yeah, I'm still going to – man. God, you're <laughs> terrible. Auden Tate – so here's what I'll say. Auden Tate obviously is going to get – You know, he's on, he's on the field all the time now. Um, the good thing for Tate – um, that most people don't realize is even before John Ross got hurt, he was trend. He was already starting to gobble up snap share as well as routes. Um, so the coaching staff was already rewarding him for whatever was going on in practice. And they were seeing things that they liked with him. So it's not just purely, Oh, John Ross got hurt. And now all of a sudden he sees hundred percent of the snaps, you know, he ran a route on 97% of the dropbacks in week five, but he ran a route on 87% of the dropbacks in week three right? And John Ross got kind of dinged up in that game, but then got hurt, you know, in week four. So Tate is a guy that they actually like. What I like about him, you know, is he's seeing 38% of the end zone targets. So that's second, that's actually tied for first on the team with Tyler Eifert, who somehow not to, you know, try to live in the past, but somehow Tyler Eifert didn't score against the Cardinals. But anyway, um, you know, so, so Tate is a guy that they're using, you know, in the red zone. So if you look at, you know, then if you go compare that, you know, with Carolina and just for context, you know, that's a team that's running a play, you know, they're, they're averaging 62 plays per game. So if we're just doing, you know, the math and then I look at Carolina, cause I consider the quarterback situation to be similar here to you guys with Allen versus Dalton. I pretty much consider them equal. Yeah. If anything, I mean, Dalton has the volume because they're just not running the ball much, but Right. So Dalton, yeah, is dropping back to pass 71% of the time versus Allen's dropping back to pass 61% of the time. He's completing more. Yes, but he's completing more. But I mean, just from the quality of quarterback play, I consider those guys basically the same tier, you know, at this point. But 
if you look at, you know, what's going on with Curtis Samuel, you know, he's out there all the time as well. And he's eventually going to get his, you know, so Curtis Samuel, here's his target rate, 27%, 21%, and 20%. Here his routes ran per dropback, 93%, 89%, and 97%. The guy is always out there. The problem is this is an offense that just, you know, it's got DJ Moore, it's got Curtis Samuel, it's got Greg Olson, it's got Christian McCaffrey, you know, so they spread it around across these guys. But Curtis Samuel is kind of similar in a way to Will Fuller, right? Which people, if you look at his targets and you look at his routes and all those things, they're very similar. If you look at the air yards for the team, he's 36%, he's 36% you know, of Carolina's air yards on the season, which is the top. You know, if you look at his average depth of target, it's 14.9, which makes sense because he's the leader in air yards. You know, so Curtis Samuel is a guy that it just hasn't really broken his way yet, but it's going to. So for me, I'm still sticking with Curtis Samuel over – Auden Tate just because I like his big playability. And to this point in the season, he's still been, you know, one of the top three targets on the team. It just hasn't worked out yet. Calvin Ridley. That means Auden Tate will score four touchdowns, just so you know. (laughs) Even though that's impossible, it will now be possible. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Calvin Ridley versus the Cardinals uh, or Marcus Valdez-Scantling against the Lions and appreciate that we still have the Devontae Adams caveat i think he's out i think he's in but i hope so (laughs) we'll see yeah so it really does you know hinge on that because if if adams plays i'm definitely leaning to ridley because i just i love the matchup you know with the cardinals and and the falcons are desperate to win they're only 2.5 you know they're only two and a half point favorites you know right now and it's at arizona um you know the over-under on the games at 51.5 so that's the second highest game on the slate this weekend behind Kansas City and Houston. So if, if everything's equal, you know, and Adams is playing, you know, I'm definitely going away from MBS to go with Calvin Ridley. Now, if we find out that Adams is not going to play and, um, you know, we're going to get Mar- Mar- Marquise Valdez-Scantling as one of the top two passing options in the game, most likely. Now this last week, Aaron Jones led the team, but a lot of that was to do with, you know, they were leading. They just didn't want to take a lot of chances with the ball. So, you know, they engineered a lot of things to work underneath. But if for some reason Adams is out, then that would honestly, and I'm just sitting here trying to think, you guys picked two really good ones. Um, Green Bay. I'm looking, who are they playing this weekend? I'm trying to find out. Sorry. Uh, at home to the Lions division. At home to the Lions, yeah. So you already said that. Sorry. So they're at home versus the Lions. The Lions have actually been, you know, very competitive. You know what? I'm going to just say it. I'm going to, I would stick with Ridley this weekend in a shootout either way. Last one. So Mark Ingram uh, at home against the Bengals or Chris Carson on the road against the Browns? Hmm. I, I am going to go with Chris Carson. Um, and this, this this one actually, just because of what's happened here lately uh, with Carson. So Carson actually, I don't know if you guys um, subscribe to establish the run, but he had really been trending down for a few weeks. So the fumbles, he had gone from snaps, had gone from 76 to 55 to 45. But then over the last two weeks, he's back up to 76 and then 85% of the snaps. And what's important um, is this last week, Rashad Penny returned to the mix. And so I had a concern that, with the way ProSize had really kind of carved out a little niche in the passing game and knowing the draft capital they had tied up in Penny that, man, we could see a three-way, a three-headed monster, you know, in Seattle like we saw last year with, you know, Chris Carson, Rashad Penny, but it was Mike Davis before he moved on, you know, to the Bears in the offseason. 
But this last week, what we saw, 85% of the snaps for Chris Carson. Um, Rashad Penny only played 15%. Now, some of that could be due to, you know, working him, himself back in, you know, from the hamstring injury. But C.J. Procise, 0%. So it's still clearly a two-way backfield with really it being more of a Chris Carson at this point, at least looks like still being the 1A. And, you know, it's not like what we thought could happen this offseason, which was a 1A, 1B. He's clearly the 1A, and Rashad Penny's like, you know, a 2C or like a 3A. You know, there's really a big, you know, gap between those two guys. Whereas Mark Ingram, you know, what I've seen, you know, from him, the other thing, you know, with Chris Carson is his routes per drop back. 87% of the times Carson, um, sorry, Russell Wilson dropped back to pass, Chris Carson was actually in a route. You know, so the fact that he was only targeted 4% this last week is kind of weird. You know, typically when you see a guy with that much, you know, in this kind of passing attack, you know, it's good for 10% or so. So I think Carson has the more steady floor um, at this point. And I think, you know, he's a guy that's in the RB1 mix. Um, As far as Mark Ingram, I really like him. The problem is in the games, um, you know, where the Ravens have really jumped out to beat teams, which is what I would predict this weekend versus Cincinnati. Um, you know, Mark Ingram just hasn't been used as much. They've rested him more in those games. So the games where Mark Ingram's been used the most um, are the games where they've been the closest. So if you look at week five, uh, they, the uh, Ravens won by three points. And if you look at week three, the Ravens lost by five. Well, those are, those are the two biggest weeks from a standpoint of Ingram's usage. Those two weeks are 61 and 66% of the snaps. And if you look at his attempts, and 48% of the team attempts. Um, The thing that Mark Ingram has going for him right now that Carson hasn't is he owns 54% of his team's rushing attempts inside the five, whereas Chris Carson only has one on the season, which is at like 20%. But I expect that, honestly, to level out. It's been kind of a weird deal where they end up in a third and like five or third and four, and all of a sudden the week before, C.J. Procise was on the field and he got a touchdown because the play before Carson had his call back, you know, on a holding penalty. So there's just been some weird things for Carson, but I expect, you know, him to be to be utilized more down inside the five, and I would expect him to even out with Mark Ingram. I love that. That's, yeah, I think that's, that's fair. I think uh, Chris Carson, I was worried a couple of weeks ago, might lose. Oh, me too, job. man. <laughs> and I own him a lot. <laughs> I was worried about him. Uh, so, yeah, I think, uh, I think you're right. I like that. Yeah, I own Mark Ingram in my home dynasty league, so I was hoping you'd go the other way, but can't win a Hey, still, Ingram, man, it's he's still getting a work inside the five. I still like him, you know. Um, but this is something we saw from the Ravens last year. They didn't have a back that they gave over 50% of the carries to. Usually they kind of divvied it out. Um, you know, if you can predict the weeks where the Ravens are going to be in their closer games, those are the weeks, though, that you can feel Mark Ingram's a lock. Um, but it doesn't mean you can't start him in a week like this. It's just the trend so far has been in those games. So in the games where they've had blowouts uh, or they've been getting blown out. So if you look at week four, they lost by 15. He only had 41% of the rushing attempts. Um, if you look at week one, when they won by 49 you know, over the Dolphins, he only saw 31% of the rushing attempts. So they clearly use him more when the games are close. Yeah, 100%. So Dwayne, this podcast has been a little bit like a meal. We had a start with the Scott Fishbowl. The main course was a whole load of fantasy buy, sell and stuff in between. So let's finish with the dessert. And that dessert is you giving us one spicy hot fantasy take that happens between now and the end of the season. Yeah, I think there's going to be, you know, quite a bit. I think a lot of teams that are in, you know, the lead, 
in their leagues right now. Um, you know, I don't know how many of those leads really hold. Obviously, it depends on roster construction. But I, I do believe that, you know, if you think about it, you know, all of the injuries that are going on, I think there's still a lot, you know, to shake out as far as what we're going to see for the rest of the season. Um, but if I'm to give you guys, you know, one, you know, super hot take, um, man, making me nail it down to one. That's how, how rude. <laughs> um, man, let me think. I'm going to say that, so let's, let's go like home, you know, for, you know, my, my team, for the folks that don't know out there, you know, I'm from, you know, Dallas. Um, Michael Gallup, you know, is going to finish as a top 24 fantasy wide receiver, which I would have never thought before, you know, this season. And I want to, I want to clarify, you know, it's going to be on a points per game basis for the rest of the way. Gallup, like this past week, you know, coming back, it's crazy. You know, the guy was hurt, you know, he missed two weeks with a meniscus injury and he comes back, he jumps right in. And I would have thought, you know, if you look at my projections before the season, I had Gallup projected at like 17, 18% target share. You know, I, I think he's going to be closer up to like, you know, 23, 24% just based on what we're seeing happen, you know, with him. Um, this past week, you know, he played on 86% of the snaps despite coming back from injury, ran a route on 88% of Dax dropbacks. Those were both season highs despite coming off injury. And he posted a 30% target share this last week. In week one, he was 22%. In week two, he was 27%. So on a Dallas team that's showing the proclivity to push the ball down the field more, they're willing to throw the ball more on first downs. They're not as heavily dependent on Zeke. Zeke will still be a huge part of the game plan. And this is all eventually going to help Zeke out, like the way that Dallas is playing. You know, turnovers got him this last weekend. But when I look at Gallup, and I look at the fact that Jason Witten, you know, he's playing, he's playing good, but he's still, he's an older guy, right? He's not, he's not a threat to be the third target on the team. Randall Cobb's only playing in the slot. He's going to have his games where he does well, but I think Gallup has just taken a bigger step than I thought he would take. And so this is a guy that I thought coming into the season, you know, fine, I'll take him as my wide receiver four. right now. I would be, I would love to be plugging him in as my wide receiver three. And I wouldn't be afraid, you know, on many weeks to be plugging him in as my wide receiver two. Nice. Spicy. I love it. Good. I was, I was going to take that one further and say that Michael Gallup finishes above Brandon Cooks in points per game. I think that's very, very possible, especially with the emergence of Gerald Everett. Think about the Rams now. Gerald Everett is now a guy that they're trying to work into their game plan. We already had a, we already had a situation where they're splitting you know, these passing targets across three really good receivers. Well, now all of a sudden, if Gerald Everett is the fourth, and if Todd Gurley's kind of trending upward, it's like somebody has to be the odd player out every week with the Rams. I'll tell you guys something really sneaky about Cooper Cup. I bet you guys didn't know this. So last week in Gerald Everett's breakout game, guess who it was at the expense of from a snaps and routes standpoint? It was Cooper Cup. Cooper Cup's snaps last week, 66% lowest of the season. Routes per drop back, 84% lowest of the season, which corresponded with Gerald Everett playing. 81% of the snaps and his highest routes per drop back, 72%. Now it didn't end up hurting cup. He still saw he still led the team with 33%, you know, of the targets. But if this team starts going to more 12 personnel, it eventually is gonna, the, the law, you know, the way the math works, I mean, it will eventually impact Cooper cup. I'm not saying it's like just going to totally destroy his fantasy value, 
But right now, what Cooper Cup has been living off of up to this point is Todd Gurley wasn't really getting many targets early in the season, and they were just giving it all to Cooper Cup because he was the guy working underneath. So in those first three weeks, that's where Cooper Cup's additional targets came from. They weren't really coming from Brandon Cooks or Robert Woods. Those guys were still right around 20%. Now Cooks has dropped further now because he's been hurt. But the Rams are just – it's just an interesting team. I think, you know – we could see some of these receivers have more fluctuation than what we've seen in the past. If Gerald Everett, you know, is going to be a thing. You couldn't help yourself, Dwayne, could you? You've been an hour. We've we've rolled over an hour and you've had a sly last minute dig at us. (laughs) Oh, I forgot. Cooper cup's on your team. Hey, I love Cooper cup. He's on. You can't rescue this situation now. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I won't try. (laughs) Dwayne, this has been an absolute blast. Thank you so much. Why don't you let Rush Nation know? where they can find you on the internet. I'm sure. Yeah, you guys can follow me on Twitter at Dwayne McFarland. That's D-W-A-I-N-M-C-F-A-R-L-A-N-D. I try to interact as much as possible, but you can find my utilization reports there. Um, you can also find my utilization right up at establishtherun.com. Um, you can find my work at mattwaldmanrsp.com, and you can also find me at footballguys.com. Like Murph said, everywhere in the fantasy football world. Also, don't forget your podcast. Oh, Brian, Brian yeah. kill you. But yeah, Brian is going to actually. Yeah, there may be like you know he may be mailing me you know some sort of substance that you know may or may not look like anthrax right now. He's probably <laughs> sorry. I guess we shouldn't joke about things like that in these days. But yes, you can listen to me on a podcast. It's uh, at Fantasy. It's, if you want to find it on Twitter, it's at FF Hustle. Um, and it's the fantasy football hustle. You can find it, you know, pretty much on all the major ways that you would listen to a podcast. You guys can search for that and you can find it. Um, oh, one other thing I have been doing is every other week for Matt Wallman RSP. Um, do you guys follow uh, at Jay Moyer FB? Yes. He does a lot of the film work. You know, he's Jay's amazing. So this guy is a former, you know, coach. He's now going to school to be a doctor. He's super freaking smart. Um, but every other week I do a pod with him over at the RSP. It's the uh, fantasy football uh, film and data uh, podcast. And what we really do is like, I go, I come to the podcast with all of this, like these deep, you know, this deep data analysis. And then he comes with his film breakdowns and then we just like cram them together and see what happens. Like, Hey, does the data actually support what he's seeing on film or does what he's seeing on the film match up with what we're seeing in the data? Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't, but it's a, it's a really awesome conversation that goes a lot of ways. We usually only focus on four or five topics because, you know, we try to go really deep on those topics, but we'll be doing a new one of those um, this Thursday. So folks can look for that. Amazing. Dwayne, thank you so much for your time. We know you're a busy guy. I appreciate you coming. No, I appreciate you guys having me. I really do. And uh, good luck the rest of the year in the Scott Fishbowl. Oh, you too, buddy. You too. Murph, I will see you Sunday at the game. Dwayne will chat real soon. But as always, Rush Nation, until next week, don't forget, keep rushing. When we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at fifty dollars, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.